0: Welcome to SA's Motoring Podcast. Let's Drive, brought to you by Toyota Gazoo Racing SA. Coming up in this episode, we uncover the Maserati Levante, the Renault Koleos, and the Volkswagen Amarok Canyon. We also chat to expert navigator Simon bassey Lyle, and wrap up with the Let's Drive Top Five. Are you ready? Let's Drive. Welcome once again to your favorite uh, motoring podcast here in South Africa and beyond. Derek Albertian, as always, I've got my brilliant co hosts, Hannah Spisser and Valdu van der Waal, on the line. Of course, we're not in person just yet. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We just can't touch it. I'm talking, of course, about lockdown. It's pretty much over, although we still have to practice some social distancing. Hannes uh, and Voldu, welcome once again to the show. Voldu, I'll start with you, uh, you nice and chilly over in Johannesburg. I am indeed, but Derek, I have to say, when you started with your
1: brilliant co-host, I was quite excited to find out who it was. And then you mentioned my name. I, mean, I, was, <laughs> I was, it was quite surprised surprise. hear. <laughs> <laughs> so I right, but anyway, it's lucky it's in the middle of winter. Well, it's actually past the middle of winter. The 21st of June has come and gone. So, um, yeah, we're heading to summer. It doesn't feel like it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't at all. I mean, I haven't experienced this cold Johannesburg in years. Well, in fact, in my entire life, I've been here for just over a decade and it's absolutely freezing. But I think more importantly, I did allude to it right up front, is the lockdown. I mean, uh, yeah, we're kind of getting to the end of level three now, I think. Um, Restaurants not entirely open just yet, but... uh, It is good news uh, on the horizon that we we can, I I think the biggest thing for myself and you and Hannes, the fact that we love to travel, that may soon be a possibility.
2: We need to go somewhere, Derek. We need to go somewhere pretty, somewhere where there's mountains and rivers and water or the sea or something like that. We need to get out because Gauteng is not the prettiest place in in winter. And... uh, whether there's a lockdown or not, the traffic is still horrible between Pretoria and Joburg, as you all know. So uh, besides the fact that everyone is still wearing masks and that our hands are, are super dry from all the sanitizer at, at, at every stop, uh, the lockdown is pretty much all but over, it's just standing in the way of us travelling and doing what we love to do.
0: Yeah, no question. That is the most important part from our concerns. Uh, the restrictions certainly have stuffed us in terms of travelling. And, I mean, Voldu, we... We love to get out there. Uh, I know you, in particular, Anas, uh, him too, and, and myself. I mean, jeez, we've we love to travel, and unfortunately, these have been some very frustrating months.
1: I was um, chatting with uh, Graham Duxbury the other day, and I, he said to me, so how's lockdown been, and what do you miss most?" And I said, "Well, lockdown's been okay, but what I miss most are uh, airports, uh, air lounges, and business class flights. I think the, it doesn't really matter where I'm going as long as I can travel, I'm happier."
0: Yeah, you've been sending photos to us every now and then of uh, one of your recent trips. I think it was over to New Zealand where you're nice and cozy in business class. And you said, Goodness, I miss this. And uh, I uh, look, look I, I, I've, I've got to be honest, I haven't quite experienced uh, that level of comfort in a, in a very, very long time. So it's been so long that I don't know what to miss. But uh, being on a plane, just full stop, I, I certainly do miss it. And you know, you mentioned Graham Duxbury. So one of the things that we've been doing with Radar Media is hosting these online quizzes. We call it the Lockdown Sports Quiz. So at the start of the lockdown, we wanted to encourage people to to continue talking about sport because, of course, that just closed shop entirely. So we opened it out to the public. Uh, yourself and Hannes uh, have been involved on, on a Tuesday night event. And Ducks we brought on as one of the sporting superstars because what we do is we allow... Very well-known members of the Sporting Fraternity to come in and, and compete alongside just members of the public. So we've had some big names like former Springbok Warren Whiteley. We've had R- Russie van der Dysen, the Protea, Aidan Markram, a couple of Olympians to name but a few. So he brought in Ducks. And I tell you what, I mean, you and I and Hannes know what a legend he is. Not a lot of people out there that haven't spent time with him would know. But uh, he's been an absolute hit. And he's made the, an appearance on the show three times in a row. And he's always the last to leave at around two or three in the morning. And uh, Johannes, uh, I, I don't think that would surprise you at all.
2: No, not at all. Knowing Dax, um, I'm pretty sure that he enjoys his time uh, in, the, in, the, in the virtual lounge. And I'm pretty sure that he's got a real glass of red wine in mean, his left or right hand at that time in the morning. So I'm sure he, he would have had fun doing it.
0: No, he most definitely did. Uh, he's always well prepared and he's an absolute gentleman. So, yeah, it's been great having him on board. And I'm sure, no doubt, we'll feature him on Let's Drive in a, a future episode. But uh, enough uh, chit-chat. Let's get into the real stuff. Let's talk cars. Live in the moment till I die. Okay, first up, uh, mentioned up front, we uncover the Maserati Levante. Tell you what, uh, we certainly know how to pick him. Hannes and Voldu, both of you got a chance to take on this magnificent vehicle. Voldy, what were your impressions first up?
1: I thought it was an amazing car. The moment you see it, it's imposing, it's large. The one that we had was very bright white, um, and it's very expensive. So it is a car in a, in the a, I don't know, it's just, it's, just a, it's a massive machine with the, that makes a massive impression immediately. It, it was, you see, yeah, very,
0: yeah, go for it, handbar.
2: This all came about after we drove the Lamborghini Urus um, and the Hurricane a a couple of weeks ago. You'll remember we did a a story on that as well. Very well. And at the time, Roto was so impressed with the the, uh, Urus and he said that it's probably the best car he's ever driven. And I must agree that... um, you know, people always come up with marketing speak, saying, yeah, we managed to do this, or, you know, this car manages to find the fine balance between this or the other, whatever. And with Lamborghini, they said that it is the best of both worlds because it's a it's a sports, it's a super sports SUV. And it's a sports car on the one side, but you can share it with the whole family because it's got space for the, for everyone sitting in the back. It's a, it's a big car. And um, and I must admit that I agreed with Waldo that the Urus is really, really that good. I mean, we called it on Latviel, probably the best balanced car that we've ever driven so and then we said but does it really have a competitor anyway and, and and this is how the whole levante um test came about because we started to look around where would you find a three and a half million rand super sports suv and that was the only one that came up on the list and that's how we ended up behind the wheel of this specific car this one by the way was the trophy or trophy version which is uh, obviously the flagship in the range
0: so initially it was made wondering about the competitor to the Lamborghini because the Levante initially you would have said with their competitors. You, you'd go in the, the range of the, the Porsche Cyan, the Range Rover Sport, etc. W- would that be a competitor in that side or, or do you compare it with the likes of the Lamborghini?
2: Well, initially I thought that that the Levante is more of a, of a Cayenne Turbo competitor until I drove it and then I realized, like, okay, hang on. You know, the Lamborghini is, is, is well, it's an Italian, it's a Lamborghini, obviously, but we all know that the Italians of Lamborghini now belongs to the Germans. So it's a German-Italian sports car, whereas the Maserati is a, is a proper Italian sports car. It's even got a Ferrari engine in it. So that obviously belongs to the Fiat-Ferrari family. And um, we thought that, okay, you know, nothing can compare with the Urus, but this does. I mean, it's, it's it's equal in size. It's a little bit down in power, not, not a lot. I think it's got about 30 kilowatts or so less than, uh, than the Urus. Which isn't a lot, and after driving, it, it's like okay. Well, we're talking, uh, we're talking competi- competition here. This is definitely, definitely on par with the Urus. Um, certain people will probably find it more attractive because it's more, more Italian, if you like, or so. Um, but there, we'll, 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 we'll get to the problems later. But yeah, it is, it, it is a competitor to the Urus for sure.
0: Well, those are fighting words because I mean the way that I spoke to you guys after experiencing the Lamborghini Valdu. I mean, it looked as if nothing ever created in the history of mankind would come close but yeah the the Maserati not bad going
1: Derek it's an interesting one because
0: what makes the Maserati
1: so special in its own right is the fact that it's not it's not doesn't share anything with anyone I mean Maserati is Maserati the engine comes from the Ferrari uh, and we'll get into that in a moment I'm sure Hannes has the specs and so on but other than that it's got its own switch gear, it's got its own instruments and displays and everything. whereas in the euros there is that little hint that it's part of the VW group. So there's things that, that you know remind you of an Audi for instance, or of a VW for that matter. Um, but that doesn't detract from it. So what's interesting is that the euros to me had almost more character than the, the um, Maserati, despite the fact that it's part of a big group. And you can sometimes see little hints to that. Even though the, uh, the Maserati stands on its own four feet, as it were, the fact is that the Lamborghini still had, to me personally, a little bit more character, even though it's part of a bigger group. Um, and, and, you know, while on paper the two compare very, very close, in terms of performance and price, certainly, there's still something about the Lamborghini that I just personally prefer a little bit.
0: Where did you get to take it out to, uh, Hannes? Because, of course, this is a, a, a really nice vehicle. It's not something that you just going to drive up and down your driveway, especially during lockdown. Did you get a, a chance to, to experience its full capabilities?
2: I wouldn't say full capabilities, um, but we um, – okay, so the day started out at the Maserati dealership in Bryanston, and I would imagine that if you have that kind of cash and you're going to spend – and we'll get to the price a little bit later on – that kind of money on a car – then um, the experience at the dealership must match. And I can truly tell you that uh, the experience at the Maserati dealership is, 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 is also, as you would expect, uh, top-notch. Unfortunately, we only had the car for the day. So um, we started after traffic, and we had to give it back in the same afternoon. So we, uh, we made sure that we got a good shoot-in out on the uh, western side of Gauteng, close to the northwest border. Um, we had a pri- one small little private piece of road that we could stretch its legs a little bit. But, um, yeah, there's no way in where you can safely and legally drive it at full tilt. So we surely had enough space to to, to make sure that we got to, to know it fairly well and and, and and assess the performance for sure. And, uh, yeah, we felt all th- 439 kilowatts compared to the Eurusys 478. So, like I said, a little bit less. But, you know, once you start speaking about 400 kilowatts, you know, 30, 40 more or less, you know, you don't really feel that. No 203 seconds in a big car like that remains amazing. Engine-wise? So it's a 3.8-litre V8 twin-turbo, and um, it is very much the same engine that you'll find inside the, 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 the um, uh, Ferrari 388. So definitely that Fiat-Ferrari family thing coming through.
0: Lovely. And, uh, and Voldy, you so far we've been singing its praises, but you said there were a few issues that you experienced. Uh, want to go into that yet, or still want to highlight some of the highlights?
1: Derek, the, the issues with the car to me really talk more about its styling and interior, which in my books, and my experience, doesn't quite have the character that you'd expect from a car that costs that sort of money. You know, it's it, it could be that that the exterior styling especially feels a little bit, you know, neither here nor there. It doesn't make a statement the way that the, that the Euro certainly does. Um, And many other cars on the road do, uh, cars that cost a lot less money. So to me personally, as someone who looks at things aesthetically more than anything else, um, since I filmed and photographed them, I I think they could have done more with the styling on this car. Hannes, do you concur?
2: I do. I just I made a mistake. I, I just realized I said Ferrari 388. There's, of course, no such thing. It's a 488 that it shares the engine with. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do. The, this, to me, it, it, it now comes down to the biggest problem. Initially, we thought that there is no such thing as a competitor for the US. Until we saw on paper that, hang on, the Trophyo Maserati Levante most definitely can be a competitor to the US. Until we saw the price, and it's more expensive than the US and to me that is where the biggest problem comes in here because sure it's a fantastic italian super sports suv but um 3.7 3.8 million which is two hundred thousand more than the US, and now the the water gets a bit muddy for me
0: yeah that, that, that's a crazy price and i remember reading uh, a while back when maserati when it when it first brought out um the levante because potential owners worried about it being too cheap uh, because they wanted to have a status symbol. They wanted to pay a lot of money for something and say that they paid that much. Um, that's certainly not the case here, Val- Valis. No. Um,
1: you know, it's, it, is a, it is a lot of money. But it, you know, once you start talking about Lamborghini money and Maserati money and Ferrari money, it's, we're talking about lots of money. I can't imagine that anybody would want to pay more for it. Um, and it certainly doesn't feel like it should be more. Um, and let me just put that into context. The, the last week I've been driving the uh, BMW X3 M Competition, which has a three-liter straight-six uh, turbocharged engine. It's the same engine that you find in other BMW products, but it's been nicely tuned, and it goes like the clappers. You know, the, the, the Maserati does uh, 0 to 100 around four seconds, the BMW 4.1 seconds, and the Euros 3.6. So all of a sudden you say, hang a bell, this BMW X3, which admittedly is just just a BMW, is on par in terms of performance, and it you know it costs two million rand less than these cars, so you know I, I struggle to justify the cost of the Maserati really in in this context.
2: Look, it depends on who you ask. I'm sure that the um, the the, the people at the the wonderful Bryanston Maserati dealership will point out that certain things are included in the price, and there are very few optional extras that you can take and and add. to me, that's all. Or Relevant and all irrelevant because um, it's all relative and irrelevant because it's such a lot of money for for that car. But okay, you know so the, the the type of person that would buy that car, I guess, doesn't matter really.
0: Highlight and low light, Hannes. Um, highlight like listening
2: to a Ferrari engine.
0: That's a, a good enough highlight. Low light. Yeah.
2: <laughs> to pay 3.8 million for the privilege
0: That's an even better low light uh, I, I suppose Voldo will probably go the same in terms of the low light Voldu and uh, what's your highlight
1: um, no, Certainly the performance must be the highlight it, it really does feel like you're driving a, a Ferrari that's um, on steroids in terms of, of you know how high off the ground it is but yeah actually low light for me would have to be the styling. I think the car could look a lot better. Let's drive out of five. And for me, I'd say a three and a half. Hannes?
2: If it wasn't for the URS, it would score better, but there is a thing such as Lamborghini Euros out there, so in that context, a three.
0: Three and a half and a three. Not bad going, but could be a lot better. That's the Maserati Levante. Live in the moment
2: till I die.
0: Car number two for the show. Going to be a short one because you've only had it for a short amount of time. Hannes, that's uh, the Renault Coliós.
2: So, the Renault Colios uh, 2.5 CVT 4x4 um, arrived in the last week or so. Uh, we've been a little bit busy with other stuff, so I actually only took it out for the first time today to drive to Joburg and back, and yeah, there's a lot going on with that car. It's it's very luxurious, it's got all the all the buttons and, and features and whatever that you'd expect of a 500000 um medium crossover, and um, surprisingly excellent ride quality so far. And then of course, it's got a CBT gearbox. I was you know. going to
0: say, uh, just hold, hold that thought right now. You said CBD up front and uh, we know you're a massive fan. And I say that firmly with tongue in cheek.
2: I am the world's worst person when it comes to CBTs. And, um, but I found the solution today. I found the solution because I, I realised that it, it is the way the world's going. It is the future, and people keep on telling us that CVTs are the way forward. So I drove today like um, a CVT customer would, and I. There is a solution. All you have to do is never, ever step on the accelerator and the problem disappears. <laughs> How does
0: that work, Hannes?
2: <laughs> well, you go very, very slowly in traffic. But, okay, like I said earlier, there is a lot of traffic between Pretoria and Joburg at the moment. So if you just, if you just fall in line and you do 90 k's an hour on the Benzcomand freeway um, without hardly touching the accelerator, there's no
0: CVT issue at all. Didn't uh, the Colius experience a bit of a rebirth, Hannes? Uh, I remember it back in the day being around. Yeah, look, I mean, it's always been
2: a, a nicely sized car, good competitive to the Rav and so on. And uh, this is very much a rebirth, very, very fresh and new, and, and, and a lot of um, extras and features inside and so on. So yeah, it, I mean, it's a proper, proper Renault uh, mid-sized SUV, and, and, and like I said, the ride quality is phenomenal. I'm not sure. Well, I still have to get used to all the all the features and and and, and bells and whistles on the inside. I haven't got around or haven't had enough chance to do that just yet, but I'm sure I will in the next few weeks.
0: Okay, cool. We'll give it a proper review a little later, but I think, Voldy, you also tried your hand at it, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I did. I also, like honestly, I had a very short period with the car, but, you know, the, the second generation, well, you said it's been around for a long time. It's been around since the year 2000, actually, mm. so it's been around for 20 years. You know, it's, it's a car that has a, a proud history. Um, the, the, it was first shown in 2000. The first one um, was put in the market in 2006 and it wasn't a great success. It was no. actually quite an ugly car. Yeah, it was quite um, rubbish,
0: if I remember correct. And uh, you yeah, know, it kind of started the trend correct. with the SUVs back in the day. And they are almost the trendsetters to an extent.
1: Certainly, in terms of crossovers. But remember, it shares a platform with the Nissan X Trail, you know, so that gives you a good idea of, of the size of it, you know, um, and, and where it fits into the market. Um, certainly the, the later generation shared. And now in, in the, the latest version has just arrived and I got into it and I couldn't believe just how far Renault's come in terms of premium quality and, and the premium feel of the vehicle. It really has come a long way. And, and it feels to me much more like a premium vehicle now than it has ever done in the past. Um, and also sitting in it, you won't know that there's, that it's sharing a platform or anything with the, with the X-Trail or even the, the Renault Kaja, which is also built on the same platform. You know, it really feels like it, its own model, it stands on its own feet. And in terms of build quality and, and perception of premium quality, I think they've, they've made great strides.
0: Uh, I think in terms of direct competitors, you mentioned the, the X-Trails sharing the platform, but i uh, have also got someone like uh, the Kia Sorento, which would certainly uh, be a direct opposition when uh, trying to steer buyers towards them.
1: No, it's more its more sportage-sized vehicle right, than a Sorento, yeah. because remember, this, the Sorento is one size up, so it's got a seven-seat um, configuration in some markets, um, similar to the Hyundai Santa Fe. So this is more more sportage in Tucson. Um, and, and I must be honest with you, it's certainly on a par in terms of build quality and materials that they've used in, in my little bit of experience that I've had with the car so far. So not yeah, much. I
2: would definitely agree with that, and it's also got more than enough features. I mean, the bells and whistles, the all the electronics and stuff that it's got in is really, really um, top notch.
0: So not much time spent with the vehicles from either of you, but uh, enough to, to to give a bit of a score. Uh, let's drive out of five, Hannes?
2: Yeah, I think um, it's early days, but it's a very good kick off. Um, I'll give it a I'll give it a four for now. We'll see how uh, I get on with the CVT as time goes by.
0: Jeez, okay, so ready? it's uh, overtaken the Maserati from earlier with a four. Uh, this will be version 1.0 in terms of the review. I think we'll come back to this a little later when you spend a bit more time with it. Voldu, care to wager a, a number?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm concurring. I should have concurred. I'm concurring with Hannes because I think that he's spot on with the four. Remember that a, a big part of it is is value for money. And, and I don't have the price to hand right now, but it certainly is a much better value prospect than a Maserati Levante Trofeo, that's for sure. Okay.
2: Well, this one, the, the CVT 4x4 at 514,000, which places it very nicely amongst its competitors. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. Spot that's on. a lot for it. So that's four across the board for the Renault Collius. Nice going. And I'm going the The third and final car before we head over to Navigator Extraordinaire, Simon Vasey Lal. We've got the Volkswagen Amarok Canyon. I know Hannes, this is a car after your own heart, but it's Valdu, you the man that uh, got to experience this beauty. Yeah, Derek,
1: I spent quite a bit of time in the in the Amarok uh, canyon. And I was quite excited when uh, when VW's uh, William Katlani came to drop the vehicle off at our place here, um, because it's a it's a good looking car. You know, it's, it comes in a, this particular one was honey orange, I think it's called, or sunburst orange. I don't know, they have all these fancy names for them. I think it could have been honey. But anyway, it's a color that's only available for the um, Amarok Canyon. And you know, it's got nice little black side skirts and a black rollover bar and so on, and a, a black side steps together with a honey color that carries on into the interior, you know, honey colored stitching and and seat belts and so on on the seats. It's actually very, very pretty. But then once you drill down into it, it really is just another Amarok uh, with a three-liter V6 turbo diesel engine. It's just a fancier version of it, and it's not cheap. Let's, let's put that out there right up front, 840,000 Rand for a double-cab Bucky. Whew, that's a lot of
0: money. Uh, it's still a lot less than a, a Maserati, but of course, it's completely different <laughs> playing fields. Uh, I'm looking at it now, In terms of the colour, this honey orange, I mean, you speak about it just being aesthetically pleasing in terms of the update. I mean, it it really is, and it's an extremely unique colour. I mean, you won't see many of this out on the road, no matter what you're driving. No, it is, it
1: is quite special. And then, of course, um, there's a, a nice big Canyon sticker on the side and so on as well that sets it apart a little bit. The, the thing is that if you want to buy a, a V6 turbo diesel Amarok at the moment, double cab, 4x4, your only option is the Canyon. They don't sell a Highline at the moment like they used to. You know, these things come and go. They're limited edition. So at the moment, VW offers a double cab dark label, which is the top of the range by TDI 2-liter version. And then the Canyon, the which is the... The only version of the 3D TDI V6 at the moment. Um, and then very shortly, the double cab Extreme uh, will be out. I, I'm not sure whether it's Extreme because of the, the price or Extreme because of the performance, because um, that, the Extreme version is the 190 kilowatt version okay. of the, of the um, uh, V6 engine, um, whereas the, the Canyon is just <clears throat> a slightly uh, less powerful version of exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah, so I mean, once you get into that car, I mean, you you stop looking at that, uh, what was it, the honey? Uh, yeah, honey uh, orange. The honey orange, and uh, pretty much is a, a standard uh, Amarok, as you mentioned, except for the side mirrors, you, you still get a, a little touch of that, and uh, if you're quite tall, you can see the nice bonnet uh, overhead, but um, yeah, I mean, anything else you'd like to mention about <laughs> the special edition? You know... Derek, the, the
1: thing to, to really talk about with this car is that the reality is that the Amarok is now eight years old. So it's been around for a long, long time and it's due to be um, replaced in the next year or two with a new model. But the fact is that VW over-engineered this car so much. It is such a good vehicle and the eight-speed automatic transmission that comes standard with it really is a gem. You know, it, it performs well. The three-liter V6 is what people want. It's got the, the grunt to go with the looks. It's, it's a very good vehicle. It's just 840 grand for a double cab is is quite a lot of money, never mind how it goes. And um, and then you have to think about the fact that it's been around for eight years. So, you know, do you want to spend 840,000 rand on an eight-year-old car? I don't.
0: Yeah, uh, Hannes, oh. you, you didn't get a chance to experience the honey orange machine, but, I mean, you've been an MROC devotee for years.
2: I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't drive the, the, the Honey Orange Canyon version, but like Waldo said, the Canyon version is just Cosmetics, basically. I mean, it's still the same bucky. And I was fortunate enough to spend most of 2018 behind the wheel of an of a Amarok 3 V6, and I don't care what Waldo says about the price tag, it is worth <laughs> every single set because you cannot buy a bucky with that power for any money except the Amarok. Now, to give you an example, the, um, the Mercedes X-Class, with all its might and whatever it came, and it's gone. You know, it's disappeared off the face of the earth. You cannot buy X-Class anymore. Not that um, I would have wanted to do that, because that was even more expensive for that kind of power. And now, the Amarok is still around. That engine is an absolute, absolute gem. I do agree with Waldo that the car is getting a little bit old now. I mean, eight years. Like you said, they engineered it so well in the beginning that it's still that it's still relevant. But it is getting a bit dull on the inside and so on. But the ride quality... Just you, if if we go back eight years, Volkswagen definitely raised the bar when it comes to ride quality, and that Bucky was the first one to feel and drive more like an SUV than a normal Bucky. The others have now all followed suit, and they're all on a par, more or less. But the Volkswagen Amarok's uh, drive, r- ride quality is still absolutely phenomenal, and that three-liter V6 engine and eight-speed gearbox combination—I don't care if it's 100 years old—it is brilliant. It is still brilliant, and it will be brilliant. And uh, like I said, you can't you can't buy that otherwise. Um, the, the the Ford Raptor is, is, is a little bit less money, but you've only got two litre power. Now, I've always said that the Ford Raptor would be the perfect bucky if, you, if, if it had the Amrock engine in it. So yeah, this is still now the most powerful standard bucky that you can buy. So uh, that's got to be worth something.
0: So, Voldo, I mean, is that set in stone? Two-year wait uh, for the next addition uh, to this range from VW?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the timeline that we're looking at. And I'm, that, that's for when it'll arrive in South Africa. I'm expecting the new vehicle to break cover towards the end of the year uh, officially or maybe early next year at the latest. But, um, but we'll have a little bit more of a wait before it gets to South Africa, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I, listening to my extinguished colleague, I, I can't help but agree with certain parts of what he says. It's just it feels like a lot of money for a car that's getting a little bit old.
0: Hannes, looking at the the gaming world, we had the PlayStation 5 launched about two weeks ago and a massive hysteria. In two years' time, with this next version from VW coming out, will you be front and centre at that queue?
2: Well, it all depends because the uh, the new one is not going to be a Volkswagen or a Ford. It's going to be a collaboration between the two of them. So Ford and Volkswagen will, will, will... Come together and and um, i think it could be a very very good combination if you look at the the ranger now is a very good bucky the Amarok is a phenomenal bucky so if they can combine the best of of those two with the next model um i think it will be a hell of a lot better than the nissan mercedes uh, partnership that didn't work you know so um i'm looking forward to it i still enjoy the fact that the three liter v6 really really delivers the power well with that eight-speed gearbox i mean if they can if they can better that then yes i will uh, i will sign up
0: well, we know that Hannes uh, is a fan in general of the Amarok, but uh, Voldy, you are the one that got to test out this Amarok Canyon in the honey orange. Uh, your Let's Drive out of five? Uh,
1: I was hoping you'd forget about this part of the show. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of, of the vehicle itself, as a Bucky, I would say four and a half. But the moment you bring the price into context and, and, and so on, you know, I can't go over oh three and a half for it. That. Yeah, three, three, three and a half. That's
0: my rating. Done. Oh, I feel so bad because I love the car. So I'm going to throw it to Hannes anyway, just for shits and giggles. Um, Hannes, just in general, what's your score? Yeah,
2: look, I, I have to be fair. The engine and gearbox, five out of five. The price, three out of five. So let's, let's half it at a four.
0: Yeah, we'll average it out. And we'll bump it up a little bit given uh, Voldu's uh, three and a half. So that uh, is the VW Amarok Canyon in honey orange exterior. Live in the
2: moment till I die.
0: Okay, so we've done with the cars. Let's go inside the car, particularly when it comes to performers. Now, Toyota Zoo Racing SA's Guy Bottrell and Navigator Simon Vasey Lyle secured yet another SA National Rally Championship and they won the Zan Renken National Rally uh, that was last year. It was the pair's third consecutive overall national title, which added to the three class S1600 titles they won before their first national championship. And that was uh, all beyond the wheel of the now class R2N Toyota 1600. Uh, we've already had Guy on the show. This time around, uh, we're moving over to the navigator, Simon Vasey-Lyle. Simon, welcome to the show. Ah,
3: Derek. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, it's uh, great to have you on board. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm speaking about something that took place over a year ago because you know, there hasn't really been much to speak about this year, unfortunately, because of lockdown.
3: Yeah, you know, it's been a very dismal year, I must say. We um, I'm itching to get back into a car and and do something. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I'm sure that that that's been the case for every single person, uh, no matter their their job. But uh, when it comes to driving, I mean, especially so. We spoke uh, to a lot about it at the beginning regarding travelling. I mean, this is your bread and butter, so to speak. So yeah, it must have been extremely frustrating. They're just Sitting there twiddling your thumbs without anything else to do with your hands, uh, certainly not uh, behind a steering wheel.
3: Yeah, no, it's been been frustrating sitting at home. I mean, we haven't even we haven't even been able to go to work, so you're sitting sitting at home, doing nothing. Yeah, it's I'm... it's very frustrating. So tell us
0: uh, tell us about uh, last year's championship though. Uh, before we get into this, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, another just reward for some great performances.
3: Yeah, last year was a hard fight for the the championship there with um, AC. And I just think, you know, perseverance, and we just kept going and hammering it at it with our constant speed that we had the whole year.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that must have certainly been the case. So um, what has things been like in terms of preparation now this time around? I mean, we chatted to Guy, and he says it's been very hard going in terms of the unknown. There's, there's not much foresight. Uh, luckily now, when we're chatting to you, that there has been some clarification as to what we can and can't do and how soon the things that we can't do we can do so uh do, is that the case with you guys i mean do you have some kind of idea as to, to when you can get get back out onto the track
3: yeah we've got a plan set out um so we've been we've been talking to the farmer he's he's allowing us to go onto his farm now and uh should we'll be able to start testing in the next week or two i'd say but it's just gonna, it's gonna be a small team of us so it'll be probably guy myself and two mechanics and that's it and we'll get out there and uh, start testing what we've been you know, discussing over this time.
1: Uh, Simon, uh, it's Walder. How are you doing, man? How's
3: it, Walder? How's it going?
1: Yeah, like it. Nice to have you on the show. Um, oh, Simon, just you. for the guys at home who don't know, we've, we've spoken to some of the, the um, cross-country navigators, but just, just run us through what you actually do. Um, because your name's <laughs> on the side of the car, and you've got a
3: helmet and boots and a book. But, you know, what, what is it that you actually do? Just Just run us through it quickly. So as as a navigator, I think it's a very important job alongside the driver. I mean, you guys have to, what I'm giving the driver, he has to trust me 100% in what I'm giving. And uh, I think that's where Guy and I, you know, gel quite well is we understand each other and we know when either one of us is going to do something stupid or make a stupid call. So we work together in constructing our notes so that we can drive as fast as possible.
2: Simon, speaking of those notes,
3: it's Hannes. how's it, mate? How's it, Hannes.
2: Back in you man. a quick question. So, so, pace notes. I mean, we we know, I mean, we've been around this sport, but some of the listeners might not. Um, just explain to us exactly what pace notes do. I know that it sounds counterintuitive because they make you go a lot faster, but they also make you, make you a lot safer at the same time, which doesn't sound like it's possible. But obviously, um, what you are doing is you're describing every inch of the road to your driver. So, exactly – for the ones who don't know just give us an example of what what the line of pace notes would sound like and how do you go about making them and um and how much trust does the driver have to have to to uh, go flat out if you say crest flat out
3: so so what happens on an event uh, we get a day or sometimes in the fia events we get two days to drive through the the circuit and what uh, we go with a blank book on run one and guy calls it to me so we'll go through the start of the stage and then 200 meters, left four, which is now a, a left-hand 40-degree corner. And then I'll give them another distance if there is a distance. Or, you know, we can say a chicane, enter from right. And so a line would probably be left four, into right four, tightens, don't cut, some, something like that. So we look at the inside of the corners. So I can tell them don't cut these corners. Don't take a little bit of time here because there's rocks or, or tree stumps or something on the outside. Um, also... When we're coming out of a corner, I also like to give him information if he can run wide or not, because that's that's very important. If he he can he knows he can attack and run wide, then uh, you know we're safe. So and,
2: and this that, and Simon, this run you will do in a normal standard car the day before.
3: Yeah, so and, we've we've got a dedicated uh, reiki car which has got rally tyres and special suspension that doesn't rattle your teeth out, and uh, that's what we use for the reikis in Africa.
2: But you obviously go slow when you do this because you want time to uh, to look at the environment and, and be able to make all the notes.
3: Yeah, well, I think the the average speed's about 60 k's an hour. Or the allowed speed is about 60 k's an hour. And how and much then, does that uh,
0: change on come race day?
3: Uh, no, <laughs> never 60 k's an hour. <laughs> it uh, actually gets quite exciting sometimes because when you're travelling at the slower speed doing recce, you don't realise how quickly you get there in the, in the rally car. So you've got to try and memor—I will oh, not memorize visualize how fast you're going to arrive in the rally car.
0: Simon, I'm not going to ask this question to you because uh, I reckon you'll you'll be a little biased but uh, I mean <laughs> Hannes I mean as far as navigator is concerned uh, so we're talking about the, the national rally championship and in comparison to say uh, the cross country championship uh, I I would reckon that the, Simon his forte of navigators are a lot busier would you say of course they're not oh. busy because they, um, <laughs> they describe every
2: single uh, corner and every, every 20, 30 yards of the road they will describe. So Simon needs to talk a lot. It's a lot more intense. Mm. So he'll get in a car and um, he'll go off badminton for about 15 minutes until the end of the stage, whereas the off-road guys are busy for two, three hours at a time. But sometimes they, they might sit there for a minute without having anything to say. Yeah. So it's very, very different. But what Simon does is a lot more intense. And I think also a lot more stupid because they go 11-10s. <laughs> um, you know, they do 110% all the time, whereas the, uh, the cross-country guys have to, to pace themselves a little bit. So, Simon, uh, hats off to you, buddy. You you just sit there with a book on your lap, and that's all you've got to hold on to. Guys, at least got a steering wheel to hold on to. This, yeah. this might also explain a little bit of why guys talk so much.
1: Because um, he, he <laughs> doesn't get say anything well... He doesn't get a chance where they're driving. So the moment the wheels stop, he takes over and then he doesn't even breathe. So that's quite impressive, actually. Um, Simon, just a quick question yeah. from my side. You know, you know, when you start a stage, you, you obviously get in, you strap in, you check your belts and you've got your book and you turn over to page, page one of the notes and you get ready for the stage and obviously go through the motions. And then you're in the queue and suddenly at the front of the queue and you've got the lights and the marshal and it's three, two, one, go. At that stage, have you already given Guy the first notes for the first bit of
3: the of the stage? Does, does he yeah, know so, what's coming? Yeah. So while we're sitting there, um, with about a minute to go, he'll ask me what are the first couple of calls, and I'll give him the first three, four, just so you can me- memorize it and you know get get what's going on. Okay.
0: I've always wondered about. That. It's, I mean, Simon, it's a pretty much a thankless job. I mean, firstly, why would you want to do it? Uh, I've been a navigator before in cross-country. And, I mean, like Anna said, there are periods where you can go for three, four, five minutes at a time where you literally say nothing, and and that's pretty much what I did. Look, I was a crap navigator anyway, so I probably had to have said something, and and I didn't. But, I mean, yeah, just to to, to keep your mind 110% of the time in the notes, uh, you miss one word, you miss one little step um, and that can throw the the thing into into complete chaos, so of course that is the same with uh cross country, but um you do have bigger periods in which to to kind of rectify yourself uh, it, It's not so much the case, here.
3: yeah, so I have missed notes before it's going to happen when you're reading so fast and uh, it happens, but we've got a process so when I miss a note, I'll tell guy straight away right? there's no shame in missing a note and I say, guy, I'm off. And then he, he starts calling what he can see. So I can look at the book and he'll say, we're coming up to a left six um, or a right nine or whatever it is. So I can look for that and then I can get back onto the notes as quick as possible. We, we so keep, again, it's that teamwork in the car. Yeah,
0: we keep on speaking about it. And I mean, this has been the case no matter what uh, driving event we've been in. But when it comes to having drivers and navigators, the relationship between the two has to be spot on. And, and you and Guy go back a long way.
3: Yeah, we've been friends for many years. I mean, we started playing cricket together and then it just evolved into motorsport. And <laughs> yeah,
0: Did uh, did, you ever, did you ever run him out uh, as a batting partner?
3: No, no, no. He was too busy racing in Italy and everything, so I never got to play against him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gee, Simon, it's been great having you on the show. Anything from your side, uh, Hannes and Vallis?
2: Yeah, I just want to tell a quick little story. Um, I'm not going to mention any names here, mm-hmm. but Valdu, you also remember this very clearly. A couple of years ago when we were still filming the National Rally Championship, we were at the end of a stage and uh, this specific driver and his navigator came out and we stuck the camera into the window and we said, how was that stage? And he said, well, it's bloody great. Or, it was fantastic. But my navigator still has three pages in his bu- <laughs> uh, notebook left. Or his roadbook. <laughs> <laughs> has that ever happened to you, Simon? Three pages may be a little bit much.
3: Yeah, you know, three pages is a little bit much, eh? But I, I have I
2: have, you have, you have been calling
3: straight. I have been calling after the finish and been like, uh we've actually finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's let me s- Yeah. Now, sometimes in Africa they, you know, they change the flying finish after you've done the recce, so they make it three hundred meters before and you're still calling the notes and the guy says, Hey, we finished
2: Have <laughs> <laughs> you oh. ever called it the injunction go straight?
3: No, but we have uh Hit a dip and then Guy said some choice words, and we also missed a T junction. We went straight in between two trees and nail sprayed.
1: <laughs> I, I actually, Derek, just before we say goodbye to Simon, there was a, years and years ago when I was a, a rookie reporter at Veal Magazine. I went to cover the Sassel the Rally, as it was still known then, in the, in the um, Lofeld. And Enzo um, Keen and Guy Hodgson were racing together. They were in a Deu Lanos rally car, I think. And um, they had an off. At a stage, and they came walking back towards the start. But Guy, uh, Enzo was about five paces ahead of Guy, and Guy was carrying both helmets. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you could tell immediately by the body language <laughs> you'd made the mistake. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the poor navigators sometimes take the brunt of it. And the other interesting uh, little uh, stat is that um, I can't remember their exact percentage, but a very large percentage of percent that happened. 80% happened yeah. on the navigator
3: side of the car. As the driver goes for self-preservation. Exactly what happened in Zambia at the end of last year. <laughs> and, there you go,
2: and the you most see. amazing thing about that 80% figure is it's irrespective of whether the car is left or right and drive, the accident always on the navigator side. Always <laughs> <What's laughs> <happened laughs> on the
0: navy <Nabi> side. <laughs> um, so anyway. Simon, I know we spoke a little bit about, uh, about the unknown factors, uh, but uh, what does the next month hold for Simon Lal as far as uh, navigating and driving is concerned?
3: So, well, all my Pace notebooks have arrived finally from the UK. They got hold, held up in the, the port here somewhere. So all my books have arrived, all my equipment's here now, so I can get writing notes for this test stage now. And then also, just while we've been off, I've been uh, checking the data of the car and just getting familiar with the actual analysis of it so that that's just another field that we can look at without having to have too many mechanics around.
0: Oh, well, uh, so,
3: Ghana, so Ghana can discuss our own data.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations on the homework. Proud of you guys. And yeah, hope to see you out on the track uh, very, very soon.
3: Most definitely. So thank you very much for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Cheers, Simon, Vasey, Lyle, uh, part of Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. okay wrapping up the show we're going to the let's drive top five and i want to know from you gents voldu and hannes now as we approach to the end of lockdown once it's officially over i know we are able to get out there but once they say listen kaput you're free to do whatever you want uh, what car is the first one that you're going to get into voldu start with you
1: my bright red bmw z3 that i bought very well used from we buy cars for a bargain price Take the top down, never mind the weather, and just enjoy some rear-wheel drive power with
2: the 2.8 straight-six engine. Hannes, um, I am not going to. I already did because there what? was a great. <laughs> well, I didn't drive all those red BMW, No, but <laughs> no. I already. <laughs> um, yeah. So, as you know, under level advanced 3.1765 of the lockdown, uh, subsistence hunting is allowed. And I, of course, had an empty fridge and I needed to go and hunt. So I got into my old land cruiser Bucky, went to the farm, and uh, yeah, got some food for the fridge.
0: Ooh, very nicely done! Now, you know, what I'm going to climb into once uh, this thing's all over. I'm going to climb into a Kia Seltos. a black Polo. No, a Kia Seltos. Remember, we had a what? Christo, uh on, on on the line. We Jane, yes, yeah, and uh, yeah, he said. remember chatted to him about loving the Sportage, and he said, "Well, we'll give this a try." So that that will be coming soon. So that will be my car, the first one that I get into once this lockdown's kaput. Uh, Voldu, your second choice. <laughs> Um, My
1: second choice will have to be another one of my own cars (laughs) will have to be my 1999 Toyota Hilux which is parked down at the coast at the the holiday home in uh, Wilderness so by by, um, extrapolation, you can figure out that I have to go to Wilderness as soon as possible. Walk on the beach and drive a very, very old Hilux that's still going strong.
0: Oh, man. And I've been very fortunate to have been to your place once or twice. And uh, yeah, I can completely understand. It could be the worst car in the history of mankind, but I would drive it just to be in that area. And uh, Hannes, your final one.
2: I actually don't have one. I can't think of one. I would, uh, any, any, any Porsche, any Porsche. So after Land Cruiser, Buckley's and old Hiluxes, I think it, it, it will be nice to jump behind the wheel of a Porsche and just have some good quality
0: fun. Well, there's no question this has been the most, vari- <laughs> the most varied collection of five cars <laughs> yeah. that we've had in the entire show for our Let's Drive top five. But, gents, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks once again to Simon Vasey-Lyle. That wraps up another episode of Let's
3: Drive. We'll see you soon. Cheers.